Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 90th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. We've got an action-packed episode ready to go for you today, so we're going to go ahead and skip the introductions and announcements and jump right into today's story, net metering changes in North Carolina. For quite some time now, you've been hearing that changes are coming to rooftop solar compensation in North Carolina. Well, those changes are finally here after receiving a long-awaited order on net metering from the North Carolina Utilities Commission on March 23, 2023. States across the country have been contending with proposed and enacted changes that are set to transform the industry as we know it. And those changes have now hit our state lines. But what's different about how it all played out here was the collaborative nature of a compromise reached between the utility, advocates, and rooftop solar companies. But before we dive into the details of the order and the changes coming, it's important to understand how we got to this point. Taylor Jones, Senior Regulatory Counsel at NCSEA, provides a little bit more background. So in 2019, there was a law passed in South Carolina that required the South Carolina Public Service Commission to revise net metering rates and included specific language uh, to eliminate any cost shift or subsidization associated with net metering. So sort of under that directive, Duke convened a stakeholder working group. The result of that process was an agreement on revised net metering rates. In South Carolina, that agreement was reached between Vote Solar, Sunrun, the Southern Environmental Law Center on behalf of the South Carolina Coastal Conservation League, Upstate Forever, and the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, including, of course, Duke Energy and NCSEA. The rates that were designed included some fixed fees. The big innovation was the use of uh, time of use rate um, and that package included an upfront incentive for solar of 36 cents a watt for new customers that participated in a smart thermostat program. So that rate design package was proposed to the South Carolina Public Service Commission. Taylor then goes on to provide some more detail about how this has transpired up into North Carolina. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, years before, in 2017, the state passed a law, House Bill 589, that also required the North Carolina Utilities Commission to revise net metering rates. So after we had this successful collaboration in South Carolina and designed this solar choice net metering proposal, uh, a group of parties brought a really similar proposal um, to the North Carolina Utilities Commission to request approval for solar choice net metering in North Carolina. 
In North Carolina, the parties um, were pretty similar, Vote Solar and Sunrun. Uh, the Southern Environmental Law Center representing both solar and SACE and the Solar Energy Industries Association, SIA, along with Duke and NCSEA. So the net metering proposal that was filed before the North Carolina Utilities Commission really built upon the solar choice net metering proposal that was designed in South Carolina um, just about one year before. Will Giese of the Solar Energy Industries Association goes on to share some additional context from how these conversations have played out in other states across the Southeast. Regionally, the most devastating thing that's happened recently, right before or right around the same time that this order dropped, was Arkansas essentially got rid of its retail rate net metering program, which was wildly popular in the state. You know, back in 2019, Arkansas didn't really have a very robust rooftop solar industry. But a bipartisan group of legislators, a majority of them, created this Act 464 that created a retail rate net metering program in Arkansas for rooftop solar. And it's been incredibly popular. It's created a lot of jobs in that state. Um, But then this year, the utilities waged a very thorough campaign arguing that there was a cost shift that was devastating to them and was creating, you know, huge electric bills for consumers or would do so in the future, even though, to my knowledge, they were unable to provide any like shred of evidence of this. And in fact, the the commission in Arkansas since 2019 has created a calculation to determine cost shift, and they have not been able to prove it for three and a half years, not a single utility in Arkansas. But that didn't matter. They convinced legislators that there was going to be one for one reason or another. And they essentially said there will be no retail rate metering uh, 18 months from the end of the legislature this year uh, in March, which is unfortunate. You've seen similar attacks from the legislative side in places like Florida last year, where they tried to get a net metering in places like Mississippi, where there was an opportunity to change the tariff and it did not change that significantly. And then you have just the non-existence of rooftop solar in any significant amount in places in the South, like Tennessee, or Alabama, or Georgia even, where last year in a rate case, they basically said, we're going to give a very small amount to rooftop solar as a credit, not enough to really significantly grow the industry, I would argue. Beyond the region, you know, certainly California is the the biggest market. I mean, that's like one fifth of the solar industry nationwide is just in California. And a large portion of that is rooftop solar. And so they're on their third iteration of net metering called NEM 3.0. When asked why these fights were playing out across the country, Will shared. Some of it too, I'll say is ideological, right? And so there's been a conversation on what is the impact of rooftop solar systems to all consumers onto the grid, to the utility system itself, um, who pays what share, uh, how much should that be? And you know, what does it do to the resiliency or the functionality of the grid, good or bad? Especially in the, the IOU, so the investor-owned utility service territories, for sure, you know, the threat to their business model has been a catalyst for these rate changes. Unfortunately, you know, there's no metric to determine like when or if you should change a rate structure. So, you know, you see places in California that, or Hawaii that have over 15% penetration for rooftop solar, and they're now begin to change their their rate away from this vanilla NEM that I mentioned earlier. But then you see places like 
Mississippi or the Carolinas or Florida that are having these conversations at various levels within the state. But, you know, their penetration level is is far below that, you know, far below 10%, far below 5%. You know, some of these states aren't even at one and they're still changing that structure. And so I think that is where maybe some of the, the technical arguments in my opinion, I think begin to fall apart. I mean, we could have a long conversation about like what is an appropriate penetration level. I, moving away from that, I think it's more like if we think that this kind of vanilla retail rate net metering is not something that the utility can live with, but we also think that these resources we're installing maybe aren't being valued appropriately given the service that they provide to the grid, do we need to change the way that we think about these programs? And so in every state, it's kind of a different approach, but in my experience, it has often been this threat to a traditional utility business model to consumers, right? You know, essentially pulling away the consumers, right? By reducing the amount of electricity that they buy from the utility by installing solar, that represents a threat to the utility, right? Which is a, is a profit-making enterprise in a lot of situations. And so that conversation has come up, the technical conversation the cost conversation, although I think a lot of that is buried within this kind of broader, how does the utility of yesterday function in, in the world of tomorrow with all these rooftop solar systems on the distribution grid? But again, to the point made earlier, groups like SIA and NCSEA and even the utility did not want to see a similar antagonistic approach playing out here in the state, leading to some conversations early on about how to shape new financial structures in light of the statutory language included in both House Bill 589 and House Bill 951, Juan Huber, SVP of Pricing and Customer Solutions at Duke Energy. Do we sort of, you know, follow that typical, you know, fight that happens between a utility and solar groups, or do we actually try to be constructive and, and work on it together and go past the typical, you know, archetypes and, you know, utilities saying, oh, hey, there's no value to solar, and then the solar industry is saying, hey, you know, no need to adjust compensation that metering scalable. So could we move beyond that and really decide as a group? Yeah, like I think we can be, we should be constructive here and think about how to work together and avoid that that same sort of drawn out fight where you sort of leave it in front of the commission. And then really all at the same time, you had uh, Duke's decarbonization goals coming in and 2050 targets, 2030 targets. Uh, and and that was a, a big driving force as well. And that was the approach was eventually codified in the carbon plan with prioritizing customer sided resources to shrink the challenge, um, energy efficiency, DR. And then I think finally, winter peak, you know, there is a focus there of how can we leverage uh, customer sided resources, solar plus uh, to address winter peak. So when looking at what to bring to North Carolina, lawn and parties looked at other successful solar programs. I had the luxury of working in a lot of this, the different states before I joined Duke. Um, so I could, you know, I, I brought in some examples of stuff I worked in, whether it was in Hawaii or New York. And so we brought in, you know, some examples that guide us and best practices. So like, for instance, in Arizona, we looked at the the time of use structure there and how they they formed it with it being the primary rate design. Hawaii, we looked at the minimum bill. Utah, New Hampshire, we looked to them for um, different ideas on the export timeframe. Uh, New York, we looked to them on the non-bypassables. And then just generally uh, Massachusetts, California for how they're approaching dispatchable resources. 
And in highlighting some of the drivers for the new package on the table, Lon also shared that they were focused on ensuring there's a fair value proposition for solar, along with a few other pieces as well, including... Another key piece was, hey, let's make sure there's a fair fair value proposition for solar if there's proper right sizing and right consumer behavior so that there's still a thriving industry. Also encouraging peak demand reduction was a really big a big focus again, linking it to winter, winter peak, and then providing a platform to add new dispatchable tech as new technology was developed and became more affordable. So basically all those were, were goals that we, we had a balance in, in coming up with these new structures. So with all that being said, a comprehensive rate structure for residential solar was filed in South Carolina in front of the State Public Service Commission back in 2020. The commission then issued an order in 2021 partially approving the full package as proposed. And that package included a guaranteed upfront rebate for customers who decided to install solar, along with the transition to time of use rates. Collectively, the package would have helped incentivize customers upfront to install solar and overall move them closer to a total compensation previously received under the traditional one-to-one net metering. Instead, the South Carolina PSC denied the upfront rebate and approved the time of use rate tariff. And now, To North Carolina, we saw a nearly identical package proposed to the North Carolina Utilities Commission at the end of 2021, as agreed upon by the Southern Environmental Law Center, Vote Solar, the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, the Solar Energy Industries Association, Sunrun, the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association, and Duke Energy. However, we did see in North Carolina a group of residential solar installers, including Southern Energy Management, Yes Solar Solutions, and Sundance Power Systems, all work with the utility to come up with an amended rate structure to provide more time to transition away from traditional net metering to the new rate structures as proposed. We thought that the settlement that was entered into by Duke and a, and a variety of firms really didn't didn't give us a bridge for the customers in North Carolina and the changes that were going to become in effect quickly were going to be very detrimental and, and basically destroy the market. So we grouped together S Southern Energy Management and Yes Solar Solution and Sundance Power grouped together and got 17 of, of prominent North Carolina rooftop installers together and worked. Um, we were negotiated with Duke. So we intervened and we negotiated with Duke, hired a lawyer, did all the things you do when you do that, which is somewhat new for us. We negotiated rates and timing to lessen the short-term challenges that was in the settlement. You know, there's two parts in the settlement that one of them was the rates uh, side. And so that was a part that we had the most significant change with the introduction of a bridge rate, which takes existing customers and gives them a sort of an off-ramp with a lesser economics before it goes to the full TOU. That was Bob Kingery, co-founder of Southern Energy Management. And when asked about some of the concerns overall that some in the solar industry have about the changes coming, Bob shared, The medium and the long term is going to be the solar ROI is reduced. And, and that's not the that's acceptable in, in some ways because we can find customers who will deal with that. And as utility rates are rising, they're rising faster than we model them. So like we feel like that won't net out to be a really big negative to the customer. But the complexity of it is where is going to be a real challenge in North Carolina. The time of use rates, as I mentioned, have got four times in a day. It's really complex. And the customer education side is going to be hard. So if I'm a North Carolina homeowner who doesn't know much about electricity usually, and I want solar, then right now it's very easy to explain. It takes a you know hour or two to explain it and answer all the questions and get it all clean. But the new rates, both the bridge rate and the time of use rate are just going to be much more complex. And it's going to be a challenge around explaining that to the customers 
And the consumer education part is going to be a major, big, big, important part of it for sure. But on a positive note, Bob did share that this agreement would help on the battery sales side of the business. It's going to push people more towards batteries for sure as the time of use rate becomes fully in effect because there's a, you'll be able to use your battery on the most expensive kilowatt hour time of the day. And so that's going to move, move battery sales, which um, will help that part of our business for sure. So at the end of March, we finally received an order from the North Carolina Utilities Commission outlining what the future of net metering is going to look like in North Carolina. Taylor Jones, Senior Regulatory Counsel at NCSEA, shared some more about what was in that order. Let me walk through the solar choice net metering writer because it is a little bit complicated. There are just a couple of components to it. So first, there is a minimum monthly bill. In DEP, that's $28. And in DEC, it's $22. Basically, the combination of your basic facilities charge and the rate you pay for your volumetric service has got to meet these monthly minimums. There's also a grid access fee for any customer that has a solar system with a capacity greater than 15 kilowatts. There's also a non-bypassable charge. That's a per kilowatt charge. Um, It is supposed to ensure that net metered customers are paying their portion of demand-side management and energy efficiency and storm securitization program costs. So those three charges are a part of the solar choice net metering rider that the commission approved. There's also monthly netting. So energy that a customer exports over the month is netted against their consumption within each time of use pricing period net exports are credited at avoided cost. One pretty significant change to this net metering rider coming out of the commission's order was that in addition to your time of use periods, you also have what are called critical peak pricing periods. Uh, Duke's original proposal applied critical peak pricing rates to energy that was consumed during those hours, but exports during those hours would only offset non-critical peak pricing consumption. So the commission said, no, just net exports and consumption within the critical peak pricing period, the way you do all of the other time of use rate pricing periods. And I mentioned net energy excess would be credited at avoided cost. That's actually called the net excess energy credit rate, and it will be set within the avoided cost proceeding every two years. This is pretty in the weeds. There's going to be a five-year term. There's energy and capacity rates into that. The company will use a typical rooftop solar production portfolio to come up with that net excess energy credit rate. And then another big change to the solar choice net metering rider is that customers will retain their renewable energy credits, their RECs. And beyond that, as Bob Kingery highlighted earlier, the bridge rate proposed by rooftop solar installers was also approved in this order from the commission. And that bridge rate allows any new customers who install systems between January 1st of this year and December 31st of 2026 to sign up for monthly netting 
without time of use rates. And for existing net metering customers, they'll have the ability to stay on their current rate schedule through January 1st, 2027. And at that point, they'll have the choice to move to the bridge rate or move to a new time of use rate structure. And overall, customers will have the ability to stay on that monthly netting bridge rate for 15 years, minus the period of time in which they were on traditional net metering. And then after that, they'll move to the time of use rate structure. This monthly netting bridge rate is also subject to participation caps. So to recap, the commission approved a new rate structure that includes monthly minimum bill charges, a bridge rate for current and new customers into the immediate future, and time of use rates in the long run that are designed to help curb peak demand, while also helping to incentivize further electrification through technologies like EVs and storage. However, the commission did deny the originally proposed upfront incentive, just like in South Carolina. Again, Will Giese from SIA. The most surprising thing about this, these two orders that the commission put out was that tied with the original smart saver was this concept of if you're going to install a solar system, we are willing to give you essentially a rebate for installing a demand response device for your thermostat. And then you can take that rebate and apply it to offset the cost of your solar, which makes you whole as a consumer if we're changing this rate a little bit away from retail NIM, which is a pretty lucrative program. That was the second half of the program, and the commission denied that like they did in South Carolina. But instead, what they did, which I did, I honestly I did not see coming, is that they created a pilot program in which the 36 cent a watt incentive would go towards solar for those installing a system, a solar system under that pilot for the first 10 megawatts every year for the next three years under the two Duke service territories in North Carolina. But then they went a step further and said, if you have a solar and storage system, there will be an additional rebate for that storage system to offset the cost of that system. Because we believe, I mean, it seems in the, in, the, in the order, reading between the lines, that the commission believes that having those types of systems, solar paired with storage at the distribution level, is valuable. And Taylor Jones from NCSEA on this pilot program. The commission really took a lot of initiative, I think, and prescribed a good amount of detail for a new solar plus storage pilot that would be available to new customers going forward. So this would be uh, for anyone in the future who's installing solar and storage at the same time at their home. They really put like a laundry list of things together that they want Duke to include in a pilot proposal that they bring to them. So if you're on a time of use rate, you control your storage, the storage component of your system. If you're on the bridge rate and not on a time of use rate schedule, the utility could control that storage. The commission maintained this 36 cent per watt solar PV incentive. That was the incentive uh that was a part of the original upfront direct rebate that NCSEA and Duke and our other allies proposed to the commission as part of this smart thermostat program that ultimately was denied. There'll need to be some sort of monetary incentive for 
the battery component as well as the solar component that's yet to be determined what that would look like. There might be some capacity caps associated with that. That's also not been determined. Commission said that they want the utility to recover for this pilot program under the reps rider. That's different from the the smart thermostat incentive that was originally proposed. Customers would sign up for this potential pilot program for 10 years And the commission also told the utilities, you know, here's the sort of data you need to be collecting from customers participating. So it's things like family size, are customers located in an urban or a rural environment? Do they own their home? And of course, how is this pilot program changing their usage profile during the the course of their participation? So There's still a lot of open questions on this solar plus storage pilot, but it is exciting to see the commission sort of directing this next step. It would be pretty innovative in the Southeast as a program. NCSEA and other clean energy advocates, of course, will be focusing on designing a solar only incentive to, you know, still put forward. We still think that's an important piece. Even with a well-designed incentive, storage will still likely remain too expensive to adopt for a subset of customers. It just may not make sense for everyone, won't work for everyone's family and lifestyle. And so a solar-only incentive will still be important to design in the future. And one of the most critical components of this order from the commission is the creation of a calculator by Duke to help both customers and installers better understand what their exact bill savings will look like after the installation of solar. Taylor again. Another big piece that still has to be developed is an online customer bill savings calculator. Duke agreed as part of its original proposal to design a calculator put it up on their website that customers can use to plug in their data to see what going solar would save them on their bill. Duke has a similar calculator in South Carolina. The hope in North Carolina is that customers will be able to use their specific usage data to get a really accurate estimate of what their bill is going to look like. This online customer bill savings calculator is a critical piece of ensuring potential solar customers are getting good information that's accurate and easily accessible to them. We don't have that calculator. The order said that that calculator needs to be up and running 30 days before implementation. I think that's a pretty tight timeline for Duke to be able to develop that calculator When it comes to the solar choice rider that requires customers to be on a time of use rate, that means that calculator really needs to be calculating hourly usage data. That's a pretty complicated calculator to design. I will be really, really, really impressed (laughs) if Duke has that calculator up 30 days before July 1. I, I just don't, I don't think that's really technically feasible at this point. So um, how quickly these changes are being required to be made is concerning from the customer perspective. And that concern shared by Taylor about timing is something that numerous intervening parties have also raised, especially given the fact that this order puts in place a July 1st implementation date. 
There are concerns that this will not provide enough time for Duke to have all of the technical components in place by that point, and that the solar industry won't have enough time to adapt to these pretty significant changes. So now that a majority of this order is finalized, how are the parties feeling about the direction the industry is taking moving forward? Well, here's Lon again from Duke Energy. You know, I think it's it's a big step in the right direction. It's a culmination of a lot of work. And I think, I mean, over a year plus of, of all working together, uh, Duke, um, environmental advocates, solar industry, all different facets, local to national. So I think I think we can be proud. Obviously, you know, we all thought Smart Saver was a very solid program, right? And smart thermostats, I still believe are the best bang for the buck in terms of KW reduction you can get and, and very accessible to um, all sorts of, of customers out there, um, you know, rich and, and, you know, low moderate income alike. So we're not giving up yet on the smart thermostat. I think, you know, we're going to keep trying to, to get as many smart thermostats out there as possible, but we're really excited to work on what the commission set out there with the solar plus storage pilot. And Will Giese from SIA. You know, is it the greatest thing ever? Is it everything that I would ever want in a future tariff? Of course not. But does it open the door to create those? And does it express a will of at least this commission, a willingness to look into those kind of more innovative um, programs and an acknowledgement that the rooftop solar is an industry in their state that is worthy of support um, because it's a job creator, because it's good for customers, because it's good for the grid. Yeah, that's I, I read this order as that acknowledgement. In, in a lot of ways. And so I, I think that, you know, change is always difficult. And like I said, this isn't the perfect structure out there, but it's miles away better than something else. And it, I think it does a really good job in taking that first step of the future that even a lot of small rooftop solar installers, they tell me they want to see, right? Where they're selling a lot of batteries, where they're creating new value streams for their consumers, where they're making it easier to make more sales and make a more competitive market. I'm very hopeful that this order sets up that future. And a big thanks to Taylor Jones of NCSEA, Will Giese of the Solar Energy Industries Association, Bob Kingery of Southern Energy Management, and Lon Huber of Duke Energy for their insights and leadership in the rooftop solar industry here in North Carolina. I know there was a lot to keep up with on this episode as it relates to the changes coming, so I'm also going to link to some additional resources that you can read afterwards as well regarding the net metering changes in the state. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout, at Matt Abel, for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 90 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.